Um, the Lord be with you and also with you. Happy New Year, everyone. I came back from a two-week vacation. In between, I went to the Urbana Missions Conference. It was inspiring on multiple levels. Some of you were there. Great job, Colin. Well done. Um, I had someone during my vacation say, hey, Andrew, how is church going? And I just started to share all these things that I'm pretty excited about. And so I thought, since it's the new year, I thought it'd be a good time to share it with you too. So at the very start of 2019, we are receiving a new worship director. Oh, I, wait, wait, I didn't announce who it was, okay? Okay, it could be me, all right? All right, don't, don't get too excited yet. Um, but the Lord brought this person at just the right time. Let me do a little bit of historical review. Um, our former worship director had just stepped down and it left us in a place of real need. But all the while, maybe like I'm freaking out, but God knows exactly what he's doing. And so he brought to us Caitlin at the time as our worship intern. He brought to us Donald. And then he brought to us Linda and Lauren, and Esther, and the whole worship community just responded and rose up. During the past season, without a worship director, by God's grace, the worship community has done way more than just survive. Because without, you just feel like, okay, the goal is survive. But they did way more than just survive. They, they pushed the ministry forward. And so during that past season, we saw new faces and new leaders, and just like a whole new generation rising in song and worship and praise to our God. And so our receiving of Caitlin as our worship director, it's not just the end of a season of transition, but it's the beginning of a new season of new growth and soaring to new heights of worshiping God. And so in this past year, Caitlin has demonstrated great heart great character, giftedness, passion. She really loves the Lord. She really loves her church. And so we're going to be so blessed to receive her as worship director. So can we, can we give her an, another hand? And <laughs> Okay. So we're going to commission her on February the 3rd, which just so happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. And I heard that her... Her dad is a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. So if they make it into the Super Bowl, her parents may not come. <laughs> I'm realizing. I'm joking. They'll, they'll be here. Um, but, and we just can't wait. Actually, <laughs> Caitlin's like, ah, actually, I don't know if they'll be here. No, I'm kidding. They'll be here. I have faith they'll be here. Um, can I also, again, I mean, I, I could tell you this later on, but I'm excited about this. So why not tell you now while we're on the brink of a new year? Um, so about two weeks ago, I'm sitting with one of our strategic partners who's become a really good friend of mine. His name is Jonathan Zinkai. And we had a good time together, both families just kind of hanging out. And then near the end of the time, Jonathan turns to me and he says, we know that you rent the church from SDA. Do they have a baptismal? And I'm like, you know, why, why are you asking? Yeah, yes, we do. You know, you, you wouldn't think we do, but that, that screen rolls up and there's a pool in there. Um, 
So, yes, we do. And he says, well, I have ten men, because uh, Jonathan Zinkai is co-leading a men's recovery group. These are men who are re- recovering drug addicts. And so they've been sent uh, to, to, um, to be in recovery, to be in healing, to be in a place of, of growth with Jonathan. He says, I have ten men who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we would love to baptize them in a church. And we've asked two churches, and they've said no. Now, I don't know why they said no. Um, I'm sure they, they had good reasons. But in my own mind, as he's asking me this question, I'm like, I would love to say yes. But in, in the back of my mind, I'm doing like this quick survey of the scripture, like, I can say yes, right? I want to say yes. Can I say yes? And so I just really quickly, I went to two places. One is with Philip and the Ethiopian. Remember, Philip shares the gospel to the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian responds, and there is a receiving of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And remember, at that moment, this Ethiopian is in transition. There's no local community to actually say, hey, come to this church, come to this baptismal. Uh, Philip says, here's a body of water. Is there any reason that I shouldn't baptize you now? And so Philip actually baptizes the Ethiopian in the body of water right there and then. And I'm thinking with these men who are in recovery, they're in transition. They don't actually have a local church. Their local spiritual fellowship is with the men in the recovery program. So they're also in transition. And then another scripture that just kind of like filed through my mind was Luke 15 with the prodigal son. Now if you know that scripture, uh, Jesus is actually talking to a bunch of legalists. And there are people, I guess you could say, who are in recovery. And the legalists won't embrace the people who are in recovery. And so Jesus uh, shares one of those moving, one of the most powerful stories he's shared, which is the, the story of the prodigal son, which really talks about God's heart, that when his lost children come home, he just runs to them. And I'm thinking, okay, in light of what I understand of the scriptures, Jonathan, we want to give you a big yes. Bring those men over, and so they're going to be baptized on February the 10th, and uh, we talked about this as the staff, and the staff was like, no-brainer. This is like the easiest decision for us to make. So that's going to happen on February the 10th. We're going to receive some men who are ready to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Actually, who have already done that and want to celebrate with a local community. And we're going to do it right here. How do you guys feel about that? It's pretty exciting, right? Okay, so these are th- some things that I'm si- excited about Um, Also, I'm pretty excited about this series that we're in right now. I think this series is really important, and let me explain why. Do you guys ever feel like there's a gap between who we're supposed to be and uh, what we actually are? Do you guys ever feel that gap? Like you, you might read the scriptures, you might read the Bible, and you, you have a, a clear picture of what Christians are called to be. We're, we're called to be like salt to rotting meat. We're called to be like light in a very dark place, compassionate like the good Samaritan, prayerful like the persistent widow, bold like Stephen who was martyred. 
And, uh, and it's like, yeah, I, I get that, that, that Christians are supposed to be that, but then when we look at how, what we actually are, what we actually do, what we actually think, how we actually live, if we're honest, we'll admit that there's a gap. And some of us would say, actually, it's a staggering gap. It's, it's a great gaping gap. Now, I'm convinced that in this new year, if there's one thing that we can be talking about that would effectively bridge the gap from who we're supposed to be and who we actually are, I am convinced that that one topic would be the Holy Spirit. Understanding who the Spirit is, understanding what he does in making us who we're called to be. The Spirit of God is called God's personal empowering presence and i'm i'm convinced that if we can have a fuller understanding of who he is what he does how he empowers christians to be who they're called to be that we can more effectively bridge that gap and i don't know if there's something more important to be talking about than bridging that gap and talking about the holy spirit let me tell you what you can expect in the next few weeks uh, next week, Pastor Calvin, uh, on and I, we want to do a joint teaching on the Trinity, okay? Now, uh, we're, we're doing this with a, a fair amount of fear and trembling, and as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking like, wow, really? Like, we're going to, in the space of 40 minutes, explain the Trinity, like, <laughs> I just feel like if we're coming with that sort of aim, it's like we're not going to explain anything. But, but let me say this. Um, people have talked about the Holy Spirit like it's a power or like it's a force. And no, we understand from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God who is no more three than one and no more one than three. There's a lot of mystery, but we do know something of that mystery from the scriptures. And so we want to, with the best of our ability, together, kind of try to articulate what the scriptures tell us about who the Trinity is, and so that's next week. Now, the week after that, I'm just only to give you a preview of a couple weeks. The week after that, I, I, I plan to do a survey of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament to the New. Now, I'm thinking that most of us have heard, you know, specific teaching of, on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, maybe it's from the Gospel of John or maybe it's from the book of Acts. But I imagine that most of us have never heard a presentation on the long view of the Holy Spirit who he is and his work from creation to Christ, from Pentecost until now. And I think that it's going to be really rich to, to look at the long view of the Holy Spirit and get a bigger, broader, fuller picture, okay? So that's in the next couple of weeks. Um, but let's start with uh, today. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Let's start with right here, right, right this Sunday, and what we're talking about this Sunday. Um, I think an appropriate place to start would be goal setting and New Year's. Uh, a lot of people see the end of the, the one year and the beginning of another as an opportunity to make changes. And so this is what 
most people do. They'll take a look at their lives and they'll go like, okay, I've been slacking in this one area. I could use improvement here and there. And so they build some goals around these one or two places where they want to have change. You all with me so far? Now, I think this happens to a lot of people, maybe not those with an incredible sense of self-control, but I think for most people, the new year comes, they got their resolutions, it's like, let's go, two weeks happens, and then what happens, okay? A couple months happen, and then what happens? Whatever fresh motivation you had at the beginning of the year, give it a couple months, give it several months, and those motivations kind of break down, they, they lose power, and you lose motivation. And so you, you started off good, but then there's a slow drift to how things were before. If you can relate to what I'm saying, you can just nod at me, and you'll know that uh, you're not alone, because most people here are nodding, I'm, 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 I'm feeling the same way too. You know, it's, it's interesting, I, I was meeting a friend of, uh, uh, from uh, my kid's school, we hadn't seen each other for maybe a month, and she looks at me and says, Andrew, hi, you look good, have you gained weight? You look good, and then I think she tried to recover by going, you look good, you were too thin before, now you're rounder, fuller, I'm like, okay, in your culture, it, you, just, you just keep it real. And so suddenly I was motivated with some goal setting. But you, you see this happening all the time at the gym. Tell me, tell, me, tell me if you've experienced this. If you have gone to the gym in January, what is it like? Like on Mondays, what, it's packed. It's packed full, right? And then you're like, wow, this is crazy. It's so hard to get a treadmill. It's so hard to get whatever. And then as the months go by, give it like what, March, April? Gym membership numbers look like what they were in November at the end of the year. Why? Give it several months and people lose motivation. They lose heart. It goes back to the way it goes before. Now, this is the problem with goal setting. It's about behavior modification. Normally, that doesn't tend to last more than a few months. Things go back to the way they were before. And here's what happens to a lot of us. You read a certain age where you're kind of embarrassed about setting new goals because you've realized that you've set them before and you didn't reach them. Or you've set them before and you reached them, but you couldn't sustain them. And so when New Year comes about, you're like, oh, why bother? I've done this before. It doesn't work. And so life change goes into the response of why bother? Now today, we're going to read through a passage that does talk about life change. But I need to point this out. It's very different from New Year goal setting. And we're going to explain the difference. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians 5. But let me give you a preview uh, of where I'm going for today because I don't want anyone to get lost. Okay, we're going to do something. uh, We're going to go a little bit deeper. Now, as we read Galatians 5, Paul assumes that you understand some primary teaching about the Holy Spirit. This may not be the case. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back, we're going to look at the big picture, and we're going to see how the Spirit moved in the Old Testament, and how he moves now in from the New Testament, from Pentecost until now, and we're going to see the difference, we're going to weigh the difference a little bit. 
And I think it's going to give us a deeper understanding of Galatians 5. So, once again, we're going to go to Galatians 5. Then we're going to take a step back. We're going to look at the big picture of the Spirit moving in the old, then in the new. Then we're going to go back to Galatians 5. And if we have time, we're going to talk about how some people respond honestly to this teaching. And if we have time, I'd like to share some of my hopes for this series. So you all with me? Okay, can we, can we, uh, can we rise... I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to start reading the scripture. Um, and actually, when we read the scripture, I would appreciate it if you could just remain standing. Um, let's pray. Father God, you have given us your wonderful, powerful, amazing, abiding Holy Spirit. And I, I feel like, in a sense, it's like this this amazing like Ford Mustang that's in our garage and we don't know how to use it. We don't know how to take it out for a ride. We don't know what it means to like to really know the power from that amazing engine. And I pray that during this series you would teach us new things. You would help us to understand who you are, Holy Spirit, and how you work inside us so we might learn what it looks like to follow you, to grow in the image of Christ, and become the Christians that you have called us to be. Father, we just confess that we're not the Christians that you have called us to be, but we also stand in faith realizing that if we really believe your scriptures, if we really understand who this, the Spirit is, there is a fuller life that's awaiting to emerge and be practiced inside our hearts. And so we hold on to that hope, and we pray that your work will be done even in this Sunday's installment. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to keep on standing. I'm going to do just a little bit of teaching as we go through the scripture, but mostly I'm just reading the scripture. So here is the word of God. And remember, we're asking, what's the difference between New Year goal setting and keeping in step with the Spirit? Galatians 5, verse 16. These are the words of Paul. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Really quickly, um, each of you, according to this passage, has two competing agendas waging war inside you. One is called the flesh, the other one is called the spirit. They're both inside you. Notice they both have desires, and those desires are at odds with one another. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, I'm going to name 15 sins, okay? But we're going to break them into four categories. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. The first category is sex. The next two are religious in nature. Idolatry, sorcery. The next eight deal with relationship. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Notice the last two deal with like indulgence. So the four categories, sex, religion, relationships, and indulgence. 21b, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, here's, here's, the, here's the most celebrated verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And that is the word of the Lord. You guys can sit down. Okay, so we went through the passage. We explained a few things here and, 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 and now we're going to go back to the primary question, which is how do people change? How do people change? How do people go from the bad list of nine of 15 vices to the good list of nine virtues? That's the question. How do people change? And I think the big idea that I see here, according to this passage, is that being more Christ-like, bearing more fruits of the Spirit as described by the nine virtues, does not grow from behavior modification, but it grows from following the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. Now, that's a simple idea. But that's a profound idea. Because if you read like a self-help book, they will say something like, you need to try harder. Or you need to be more strategic. You need, you need to try harder. And this passage seems to be saying, not try harder, but try softer. It comes from an abiding relationship with God. It's not try harder, but it's lean harder. And the word for us is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you ever thought what this looks like visually, but, but hopefully uh, this visual will do a little something for you. Um, uh, my Urbana buddy, Will, uh, would, you, would you come forward? Um, I, I've asked Will if he would, in this little demonstration, play the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm you, and, and today Will is elevated to the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right. Now, now, I just want you to imagine, what does it mean when the Scripture says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit? This is not like really lofty stuff. This is just basic teaching and understanding. To keep in step with the Holy Spirit means... Who leads? Right, Will, okay? And what is my role in following and keeping in step with the Spirit? And what does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like visually, okay? Uh, Will, I want you to lead, and I'm going to do my best to follow. Now, just notice, I am so attentive that he is here. I'm looking at what he's doing. Whatever he's, wherever he goes, I go. Step by step, movement by movement, you see, I, I'm looking at him. I'm not paving the way. I'm not doing my thing. I'm doing whatever he 
wants to do. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> He's shaking his booty a little bit. Okay, that's where it got away from us a little bit. Great job, Will. Thank you. Thank you. So, so clearly, I don't know if you guys know this, but as Christian believers, we have a leader working inside us. So what is your role? Your role is to pay attention. Your role is to be aware. Your role is to cultivate an awareness of the Holy Spirit inside you and what he is doing. Number one, to be aware of his presence. Number two, to listen to his voice. Number three, to cultivate his desires. Now, we're, we're going to come back to this. I think there's a, more here to unpack on a practical level. But I, I just want to, uh, I think now might be a good time to actually step back, look at the big picture. Uh, a lot of times, it, it might be hard to know what the message is if you're staring too close to it. We're kind of familiar with this passage. What I want to do is back up, look at the bigger picture, and then maybe things will be even more clear, Okay. So the Apostle Paul assumes that we know some things about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to make that assumption, so I want to reintroduce some basic concepts on the Holy Spirit. You can follow along in your outline. Okay, number one. <clears throat> number one, this is his age. I don't know if you've been told this. I don't know if you've been taught this. But this age right now, this epoch in history is the age of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, of course, has always been active, but I guess you can say he was more behind the scenes. Like he would move in this time and in this place, and then afterwards kind of step back behind the scenes. One Bible teacher called his activity in the Old Testament as the age of visitation. We're now in a different age, but back then it was the age of visitation. He would anoint certain people like kings and prophets, and he would anoint them for certain events. Now the people that he would choose, it would be selective, like if you were a king maybe, or if you were a prophet, certain leaders. And he would also anoint them sporadically for a period of intense, very important work. Then he would anoint, and then he would leave. But not, he wouldn't stay permanently. So it was an age of visitation. But then, a prediction was made. It was an awesome prophecy that was given, and there was others like it, but I want to uh, turn to one that's definitive, is Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. And Ezekiel here is predicting that there is going to be an age coming, an age of the Spirit, where the Spirit is going to really intensify his work. Okay, read this. I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. And a new spirit I will put, what's the next word? Within you, inside you, within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my, this is a big deal, obey my rules. This is a big deal. The prophet is speaking of a time when God will put his very own spirit inside his people. 
And you need to understand that ever since Jesus ascended to heaven and the day of Pentecost came, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And it's continuing into this moment. This is the age of the Spirit. Let me uh, read to you a, a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He writes this, The Spirit, no, he's talking about Old Testament times. The Spirit had been active among God's people, but his activity was enigmatic, sporadic, theocratic, selective, and in some respects, external. The prophets longed for better days. Moses desired and did not see a fuller and universally widespread coming of the Spirit on God's people. By contrast, in the anticipated new covenant of the Spirit would be poured out in a universal manner, dwelling in them personally and permanently. Now, if you're following along and you're filling in the blank, it goes like this. He now lives inside you. He creates new desires and gives new power. This is a big deal. We are living in that age. I don't know if you knew that. It means a lot. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, recently, last summer, one of our home group leaders by the name of Quest Lu got married. Now, now, yeah, you can cheer for him. I, he's not here right now, but, but you can cheer for him. I'll let him know that you cheered. Um, now, the history on, on Quest is that he became a Christian. Oh, Christian's right there. He became a, a Christian in college. Actually, I was there when he gave his life to Christ. It was amazing. And then a couple years went by, and he got baptized. He got baptized right here at Christian Layman. I don't know if you guys were there, but that was also amazing. And guess who came for his bap- baptism? His brother, Gus. And then a couple years later, I heard that Gus became a Christian. I I overheard. I don't know what happened. And then a couple years after that, Gus went on a missions trip with us to Vietnam. And so I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure sure that Gus is a believer. And so at Quest's wedding, it was his wedding rehearsal, I, I sat next to Gus, and I was finally able to have a conversation with him. And I said, I said, Gus... So I've always me- meant to ask you, like, what happened? And he goes, like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I, I saw you at Quest's baptism, and then I heard you became a Christian, and then you went with us on the mission trip. So what happened? I never had a chance to hear his story. And he says, well, it all started with my brother. He said, I was there at the, his baptism, and after he became a Christian, he just started to change. Like he just became a different guy. And he was like, yeah, everyone can tell. Like I noticed, my sister noticed, my parents noticed. He just wasn't the same and we all just, we all could tell. And I said, well, how so? And he's like, it's hard to describe. He was just different. He was like different from the inside. And I'm just, I want something more concrete. Like what do you mean? He was, did he glow? Like what was it, you know? Would he say, God bless you, when you would sneeze? I mean, what was it? He said, well, I guess what it was is that he just became more loving. His relationships were changed. He was just a more loving person. Now, let me just 
let me just explain, okay, what happened to Quest when a person who knew him all his life and said, okay, he's a different guy. I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. He's just different from the inside. He loves more. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. I, I think that's the, actually the best way to explain what the Holy Spirit does inside a person. He indwells inside and he changes them from the inside out and they have new desires. They love in ways that they could not love before. They are changed from the inside out. Okay, so we're taking this teaching about this age of the Holy Spirit, you know. It used to be where he was selective, he would only work with a few, and now he works for all believers. It used to be that he was with us, but now he's inside us. It used to be that it was just sporadic, just moments where he would anoint, but now he lives in us permanently. So before it was an age of visitation, now is an age of habitation. The Holy Spirit indwells inside the believer, changing them from the inside out. Have you been taught that? Do you know that? Do you know his person and power that's living inside you? Now, you take all this and you go back to Galatians 5. Maybe you go back with some new eyes. Okay, let's go through this. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, I just want to point out that fruit is something that takes time to grow. Not days. Fruit grows in months. You could even say metaphorically it takes years. Not by behavior modification like stapling fruit onto the tree. But it, the, the life-giving sap flows from inside and goes into the branch and then produces fruit. And so, we take this by the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. With the Spirit. Let me hear you guys say, keep in step with the Spirit. Okay. But before that, what I think we should take away from Galatians 5 is this. Know what you have. Know what you have. Actually, it's more like know who you have. I, I, I think... This is a very powerful idea. I want you to imagine with every day of your life what it would look like if you only knew what you already have. What would your life look like if you really believed this? That God imparted his spirit, his very own nature to live inside you permanently. All believers. Wow, that's a big idea. Do you really believe that? I actually feel like if you believe that, it would be a game changer. It would be a game changer. What if the next time you were struggling with sexual sin, and you, in the middle of it, in the middle of temptation, say, hold it, wait a second, wait a minute. God's spirit lives inside me. Do I, re do I really believe that? And then maybe you're like, okay, God, God, you, Holy Spirit, where are you? I, 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 where are you right now? And you're trying to identify, like I was looking for Will, the, his presence inside you and the new motivations that he's creating and the new power that he's given you 
through his indwelling spirit to live in a way that pleases God? What if the next time you felt anxious or jealous or prideful or you felt the pull of an addiction and you just paused, you took a breath and you said, wait a second, wait a second, God's own spirit lives inside me, really? Where are you, Lord? What if you were more aware of where he is and what he's doing and how he's guiding you and the new desires that he's creating? And you cultivated those desires and you cultivated them with prayer and you cultivated them with his word and you cultivated them with a community and accountability and letting other people pray for you. It's not try harder. It's lean harder. It's not pave a new path. It's keep in step and follow the leader. What if you on Monday took a moment and said, wait a second, who do I have inside me again? What if you said, every day, God's spirit lives inside me. What if you really, really believe that? And then once you know what you already have, then you can keep in step with the spirit Just as Paul said, we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I I told you that I was going to talk a little bit about, you know, some honest questions that people have to this and our hope for the series, but I'm actually out of time. (laughs) Uh, I guess I got carried away with the first part. Um, But I would like to end and close on a story, and then we're going to have communion, so prepare your heart for that. It's a story from uh, Erwin McManus. He's a pastor of Mosaic in L.A., and uh, and he writes this story. He goes, my son Aaron was five or six when he began asking me, what does God's voice sound like? I didn't know how to answer. A few years later, Aaron went off to his first junior high camp. In the middle of the week, I went up with another pastor to see our kids, and Aaron, I had learned, had started to assault another kid, but he was held back by his friends. He's a true pastor's kid, so instead of assaulting the kid, he was describing to the kid what he was going to do to him, and his friends held him back. He was unrepentant, wanted to leave camp. He pulled together his stuff and he shoved it in the car. He wanted to go home. So I asked him for a last talk before we drove away. And we sat on two large rocks in the middle of the woods. Aaron, I asked, is there any voice inside you telling you what you should do? Yes, he nodded. What's the voice telling you? That I should stay and work it out. Can you identify that voice? Yeah, he said immediately. It's God. It was the moment that the the pastor Erwin was waiting for. Aaron, he said, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. I mean, forget everything else that's happened. God spoke to you. And you were able to recognize his voice. I'll never forget 
Aaron's dug-in response. Well, I'm still not going to do what God said. And I explained to him that that was his choice. But this is what would happen if he rejected the voice of God coming from deep within and chose to disobey his guidance. His heart would become hardened and his ears would become dull. If he continued on this path, there would be a day when he wouldn't hear God's voice anymore. There would come a day when he would even deny that God exists or that he speaks or has even spoken to him. But if he treasures God's voice, if he treasures that spirit inside him, however it comes through the scriptures, through his conscience, and responds with obedience, then his heart would be softened and his ears would always be able to hear the whisper of God into his soul. Aaron chose to stay, I'm grateful to say. If he had chosen differently, he would have begun the path towards nominal discipleship. Perhaps he would never, he had, perhaps he never would have rejected the faith overtly. He might even have chosen to be a faithful attender at church and been by everyone else's estimation a good man but he would no longer be a close Jesus follower. Church, it is amazing, amazing, the reality that God has put his very spirit inside you. Do you know that? Do you know his voice? Do you know his guidance? Are you cultivating his desires in your life? This is going to be an exciting series I'm excited to grow in the fullness of God's spirit inside us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when John prophesied about Jesus, he said, and he, he said, I baptize you with water, but he who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Father, you have paid the highest price and Jesus ascended to heaven so that the Spirit could come and not just be with us, but be in us. Help us to learn how to live in the fullness of his person and his power and his life. We want to be more like Jesus. I pray that this series would be made powerful because your spirit abides in us and you are the power for our life transformation. In Jesus' name we pray.